disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, we have a uh, full episode today with two different topics. Um, number one, the tornado that ripped through Kentucky uh, and how you can help with that situation. And we're going to talk with Senator Whitney Westerfield, and that's up first because that matters more than anything to me. Uh, even though I don't live in the state of Kentucky anymore, Kentucky is my home state, and it will always be. And I was torn up the other night as my phone was exploding with that terrible news and as of right now of this recording anyway there's still over 100 Kentuckians missing and I I played or I had this interview with what Westerfield I had him on my show in Denver and the reason I did and I'll explain a little bit more about this in a few minutes but it's because I know you that live in Kentucky and I know the type of people that you are and I know how much you have reached out to help others when others have been in need and so I wanted to take that message to my new audience and implore them to help Kentucky because Kentucky has deserves it. <laughs> so we're going to have that. Also, there was a pretty big decision by the Supreme Court on the Texas abortion law, and there's already been ramifications to that law. Uh, I've said before that uh, it's going to lead other states to introduce laws patterned after it that will go after other rights. Um, in fact, California is already crafting a law that's modeled after the Texas law that would allow people to just arbitrarily sue gun makers. Um, it's going to have some problems, just like the Texas law is. The, the Supreme Court didn't let the Texas law stand forever. It basically said, you need to go through the process and bring it back to us. And I think that law is going to fall, as do I think that the California law is going to fall. But in the meantime, it's going to create a lot of problems for our rights uh, in the process. And so it's important to know and keep a track of what is going on with all of this. So we're going to talk to a guy named Eric Jaffe. He is a constitutional lawyer and he has fired it. He had filed an amicus brief uh, to overturn the Texas abortion law. And that is not because we are not pro-life. I am pro-life. But this is an example of what happens when ideological populism takes over and shades out the principles of liberty. And while I believe in the right to life and want to see Roe versus Wade overturned and want to see the unborn protected in the womb, except in certain very specific circumstances, this is not the way to do it because this was shirking of the responsibility of the government in Texas's case. And it opened up a Pandora's box that could leave a lot of our other rights suspended, like free speech, like medical freedom, like gun rights, all of that stuff. So you're going to hear that interview as well. So this is going to be like a two-part piece where we're first going to play the Whitney Westerfield interview, and then you'll hear the Eric Jaffe interview, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, so, But first, I want to thank our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They've been with us for a long time now, um, and very I'm very loyal to them for a couple of reasons. One, I don't talk about businesses that I don't truly believe in and that I haven't either deeply, deeply researched or been a customer of. And in this case, I've been a customer of Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. So when I talk about them, I can talk about them with authority because I've had the experience of being their customer. And 
they did an unbelievable job on our kitchen and on our master bathroom. And I'm confident that when our house in Kentucky sold in less than a day, part of that reason was because of how beautiful our kitchen was. We had this ugly, unusable island, and Tim Montgomery, the owner, comes in, takes a look at it, scratches his head for a second, and goes, I can fix that. And then he did. And it was gorgeous. And it changed everything. The look of the house, the feel of the house. We enjoyed it for several years before we sold it. And then we sold it to someone else who's currently enjoying it. If you're thinking about remodeling your kitchen, now is the time to do it because, you know, interest rates are, for now anyway, super low. Take advantage of that if you have equity in your home. And let's go ahead and get your dream kitchen in place. It will make your investment stronger, but also you will enjoy it in the meantime. If you're a do-it-yourselfer or a uh, contractor, they've also got cabinets in stock. Unbelievable. All styles. And they're affordable and high quality. And they're ready to go. The supply chain crisis has not affected them. So... Check out Louisville Cabinets and Countertops.com. Call 502-930-3304. Talk to one of their designers. Um, or stop by the showroom at 6200 Hit Lane in Louisville. If you're in Louisville, Oldham County, or Southern Indiana, this is your place. All right, let's get to our conversation. We're going to start with with uh, Senator Whitney Westerfield of Western Kentucky, and then we'll roll from that into Eric Jaffe, the constitutional lawyer on the Texas uh, Supreme Court decision here on the Disruption Zone. Well, those of you who've been listening since I came on the air here know that I am uh, originally from the state of Kentucky. Um, It is my home state. It will always be my home state. I'm very proud of where I came from. I'm very happy to live in Colorado. My wife and I purposely wanted to come here. It's a beautiful state with fabulous people. But my home state was in the news over the weekend. And uh, this last few days, my phone has been blowing up. Family members and friends... Uh, people that I know who are in the path of this devastating outbreak of tornadoes, one of which, according to the governor of Kentucky, Steve Bashir, was on the ground for more than 200 miles. Um, the casualty or the fatality number stands right now, I believe, last I checked, at about 64, with more that could potentially come. Uh, there's an estimate that it may go north of 70 and could go as high as 100. Um, I don't, you know... I, Having lived in Kentucky for a long time, having been born there, I remember tornadoes. I remember one that took out the high school where my sisters went to school, or a big portion of it. I remember standing on the front porch of my uh, papa's house in Waddy, Kentucky, and hail was coming down the size of golf balls, and we were under the covered porch. And my papa, I'll never forget, he, he always, at that time in his life, he always smoked a pipe, and he was leaning up against the porch post and he was smoking that pipe as that hail was just coming down and covering the front yard and then it all stopped and it was almost dead silent and then you could hear this rumble and he looked over at me and he said that's a tornado and sure enough the next morning it was late at night sure enough the next morning the city of Shelbyville had taken a direct hit which is about five miles away and we had listened to it literally go across it's a scary scary thing but what I can't imagine is one that was a mile and a half wide like what this one was. Joining me now is my friend, state uh, senator from the state of Kentucky, the western part of the state, um, Whitney Westerfield. Senator Whitney Westerfield, thanks for coming on with us today and giving us a report on this, what made national news this weekend. How are you, sir? Hey, Leland. Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, and the people of Christian County, while we had some damage, we're, we're doing pretty well. The people in Graves and Hopkins, uh, Caldwell, Warren, uh, Muhlenberg, they're struggling today. 
The city of Mayfield took a direct hit, and that is where we understand the majority of the casualties and fatalities were. Um, was I right in understanding there was a candle factory that had about 100 people that were kind of sheltering in there, that had been working in there, and that That's that correct. building collapsed? Yeah, the the tornado destroyed it. Uh, it just sort of collapsed on itself. 110 people, I think, in there. And, I, and early estimates uh, had the death toll because of that facility quite a bit higher. Thankfully, it's not quite as high. As of this morning, I think – uh, I think there were eight fatalities in the building, but there were still eight people unaccounted for. Uh, and I think actually as of about 30 minutes ago, uh, the governor has upped the death toll in Kentucky to 74 people. Um, wow, that's another 10. You've yeah. got – you and, and earlier this morning, uh, it was reported that we still had something like 105 unaccounted for Kentuckians across mm. the state uh, as a result mm. of the storm. So there's there's still a lot of searching going. Where were you when this thing hit? I was in the basement uh, in North Christian County um, at a family member's house. My wife and I and our kids uh, grabbed our stuff. We we were going to sleep in our own beds through the night, uh, but a couple other brothers were making uh, moves to get in the basement, and so we decided to just play it safe, uh, and I'm glad we did. Yeah, uh, Kids were a little alarmed uh, when we got them up in the middle of the night, uh, but it was the right thing to do and camped out in the basement for 20 or 30 minutes and waiting for the worst of the storm system to pass, waiting like a lot of other people did, wondering if you were going to be the place the tornado touched down next. Yeah. And seeing reports here and there. Um, after it cleared, though, um, and the, the worst of the system had moved beyond uh, our home in North Christian, I gathered my drone and, and headed to Mayfield and got there before sunup. I wanted to see the damage for myself, uh, and I just I wasn't prepared for what I saw. That was your drone footage that I retweeted then. That actually was your personal drone? It was. My drone. Um, because that, that footage, if, if people want to go to my Twitter, it's at Leland Show. If people want to understand the devastation of this thing, that footage is it. Because you flew over literally the path. And it was unbelievable. Yeah, the the earlier in the morning footage I shot entirely. It was all my drone, but another uh, commercial drone pilot that I met, um, he's from uh, West Tennessee, and he and I met in Mayfield, and he flew the shot that was right over the courthouse with my drone as I'm standing there right across the street from the courthouse. And I had seen pictures in the middle of the night, you know, with emergency responders there taking their cell phone pictures of what was left of the courthouse, and it just didn't do it justice. That's why I put out the, the tweet that I did when I got that clip up that, man, seeing it in daylight and yeah. seeing it from the air shows just how incredible the devastation was. And it wasn't just downtown proper. So you see the path of this enormous tornado tear through downtown where whole swaths of Mayfield just aren't there anymore. But even a couple yeah. of miles out of town at the airport, you've got hangars destroyed, planes flipped over upside down just out in the yard, debris from houses all around strewn across the airfield, the fence, the chain link fence. And the wind yeah. was strong enough to whip it completely free of the posts. Um, just an enormous thing. What's I, 227 miles on the ground, 200 of those in Kentucky alone. Wow. Um, it just, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, and, and it's it, Kentucky's not a stranger to these things. I mean, I, like I, I was recounting growing up, uh, you know, they were always there. They were always a fact of life. Kentucky kind of sits were. at the end end of what we call tornado alley and those those listening here in colorado if you're in eastern colorado out on the plains you 
you know a little bit about this, um, but those of us nestled up against the mountains don't see don't see quite this. I mean, occasionally, but not very often. But but yeah, I mean, growing up, it was always a factor. Never this late in the year, um, and and no, never quite usually. this big this late in the year. I mean, we we had the tornado a number of years ago in West Liberty, Kentucky. Uh, 10 or 15 years ago, we had uh, substantial yeah. damage in Christian County uh, a few years after that. So we, we're not a stranger to, to serious tornado damage, uh, but this is, I think, unprecedented. And certainly, I'm, I'm not aware of a death toll as high yeah. as this is. I, I can't, not anywhere in the country can I remember a death toll as high as this one is. Now, um, there's a reason why I wanted to have you on today all the way out here in Colorado. And it, it's not just because, you know, my home state is Kentucky, but... When I was on the air in Kentucky, here I wanted to kind of tell the story real quick. Do you remember that massive tornado that hit southern Alabama, went through Tuscaloosa, and just tore that that city apart? And it was another big, I think it was an F5, just like they're thinking this one was an F5, the biggest category that you can get. Um, I called upon my listeners in Lexington, Kentucky, the heart of horse country, to help those people out. Um, and it was unbelievable, the outpouring of support from Kentuckians because they're used to things like ice storms taking out power or tornadoes right. and things like that. And so Kentuckians just always want to help. And I, we sent, I'm not, I'm not kidding you, dude. We sent two semi truck loads worth of stuff down to Tuscaloosa from the people of central Kentucky to try to help out those folks down there. And at the time my wife was working for a company that had a location there and they took care of the logistics on that end to make sure everything got to where it was supposed to go. Cleaning supplies, food, water, medical supplies, anything we could get our hands on. So the reason why I wanted to say that was because here we are out in Colorado and I'm, I know the people of Colorado are very um, charity minded. They're very open minded to those kinds of things. And I just want to point out that when, other places around the country have been devastated. Kentuckians have been quick to help. And so I wanted you to give anything that you could in terms of organizations or ways that people might be able to, to help the folks directly in line uh, to what happened with this tornado. Absolutely. So I'm going to give you four links here. This is a place for people to donate uh, financially if they want to give these four links. I'm going to go through them slowly. The first one is the state government website that was put up, and it is teamwkyreliefund.ky.gov. Teamwkyreliefund.ky.gov, put on by the state government here in Kentucky. You can donate it to the United Way of Kentucky. It's uwky.org slash tornado uwky.org slash tornado. You can donate to the Community Foundation of West Kentucky, and that URL is cfwestky.org, cfwestky.org. Or you can donate to the American Red Cross here in Kentucky, and that's redcross.org slash local slash Kentucky, redcross.org slash local slash Kentucky. Um, if you can't find that, find Leland or my Twitter account at KY yep. Whitney. I have tweeted those very links out from Kentucky's nonprofit network just today. I'll tweet it out again here in just a moment. Uh, and you can click right through from the tweet, uh, and, and donate there. If you are so led, uh, and you want to, uh, provide material, uh, items, 
reach out to me on Twitter, and I can direct you to some uh, various church organizations, at least here in Hopkinsville, that are gathering things to send over to Mayfield. They've already got partners in locations both in Mayfield and in Dawson Springs, uh, which is, again, in Hopkins County, which has just been decimated. Much smaller Mm. town, but there's just almost nothing left. But they've got partners in both locations to receive a lot of these things, uh, and I'll get you connected to whoever can, can take it. All right, awesome. uh, one way or the other. And I will, I will uh, get those tweets that you sent out and, and retweet those myself as well. Um, so thank you so much, uh, Senator Whitney Westerfield. How far away is Hopkinsville, where you're at, from uh, Mayfield? Uh, just just about ninety minutes, maybe not quite. Uh, yeah. It's further west Kentucky than me, but uh, uh, we're all West Kentuckians now. <laughs> no doubt, my friend. Listen, thank you so much. I appreciate it, and, and thank you for providing that drone footage so that people could see the extent of that damage in other areas of the country and know exactly how big of a deal this was. Um, a lot of the mainstream media not quite as on this story as they would be if something like this had happened in you know ca- California or New York or whatever. But uh, thank well, you. I, uh, I appreciate you giving it some coverage out there uh, in the West, and I hope that uh, your listeners can help us out. Uh, we've got a lot of recovery and rebuilding to do. Absolutely. All right. State Senator Whitney Westerfield of Kentucky. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Leland. All right. Uh, So there you go. And again, the reason why I brought it on here is not because I think you should necessarily care where I came from, but uh, I have from very personal experience seen how quickly Kentuckians have responded to hurricanes in the south and in the east coast uh, to things like tornadoes in other states. Whenever there has been a major disaster, um, they've always been quick to try to help people in other areas. And so being that it is my home state, I do want to appeal to folks to try to do what they can to help because the government is not going to come in fast enough nor big enough to deal with this. It's going to take Americans helping Americans, like the story of one gentleman from the city of Louisville who owned the barbecue business who drove all the way down to Mayfield, set up in the middle of that devastated town, and just started for no charge literally handing out food so pretty cool stuff so you know you cannot you can leave Kentucky but as a Kentuckian it will always be home it doesn't matter whether I ever live in Kentucky again Kentucky is always going to be home I will always spend time there I will always long for my beautiful green rolling hills and my gorgeous horses and the smell of cut grass in the spring and the smell of falling leaves and the gorgeous changing of the colors in the fall and the beautiful white snow on the horse barns of central Kentucky. I will always long for that, and I will always need my fix. Um, And so just because I don't live in the state anymore doesn't mean it's not dearly important to me what is happening to the people of that state because they're my people, and they always will be. And so anything we can do to help, uh, we're going to do it. Okay. All right, next conversation here is with Eric Jaffe. He's a constitutional lawyer, um, and he's a great dude who understands – the libertarian principle of liberty principles first, not ideological populism. And that's exactly what happened with the Texas law. I'm pro-life, but the Texas law is not the right way to go about getting it. And it has opened the can of worms. And now uh, Colorado, or excuse me, California and Illinois 
have both crafted laws that will allow people to sue gun manufacturers in the same way someone can sue sue abortion provider or someone who helps someone get an abortion. It is devastating to the Second Amendment right if it's allowed to stand, and so we must stop it, and we must go back to the drawing board and do this the right way. So here's our conversation with constitutional lawyer Eric Jaffe. Texas law stays in place. This this uh, The Supreme Court did not issue a temporary injunction suspending Texas's abortion law. I am pro-life. I hate this law. This law has a precedent behind it that is very dangerous. And in fact, the state of Illinois has already modeled legislation after it going after gun owners and gun manufacturers. This law basically allows for anyone to have standing to sue someone who gets an abortion or is involved in, or excuse me, someone who helps someone get an abortion. So it could be anything. It could be like somebody giving somebody a ride to the abortion clinic. And it allows anyone on the street who sees this happen to sue that person that is helping the person for $10,000. And that basically it sets up a situation where you would have total vigilante justice. And it has a precedent behind it that would just be absolutely awful because there's a number of other things. I can see laws like this popping up in blue states about climate change. Next thing you know, you get sued because you're driving a Ford F-350 and that somehow damages the climate. It, it, you, gun issue is a big one. And one particular uh, litigator who we have had on the show before, Eric Jaffe of Share Jaffe, he's an appellate litigator in D.C. Uh, he is a former law clerk to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. And he filed, um, or he is, he, he's filed an amicus brief basically saying that he wants this bill overturned on behalf of a firearms group because, like I said, it's a terrible law. Regardless of how you feel about abortion, and I am pro-life, it is a terrible law. It is done all wrong. It's an abdication of responsibility. Eric's back with us because I wanted to kind of boil down what the Supreme Court's decision means today, and I thought the better person to do that would actually be someone who is in the courts all the time. Eric, thanks for coming back on the show. We appreciate it. How are you? You're very welcome, and I'm, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Um, okay, so it, did, I, did I get that right? You filed an amicus brief, if I remember correctly, that was Correct. basically saying, hey, um, this gun organization is, like, warning that this is a problem, this is a bad bill, uh, it really needs to be overturned because it sets a bad precedent. So, Exactly, the, right. On behalf of a group called the Firearms Policy Coalition, and it basically makes the simple point, if you can do this to them, you can do this to us. Right. So and to anyone, I mean, uh, the climate change pops into mind, you know, firearms pops into mind, any number of things that others. Heck, we could see we could see similar laws about masks and vaccines, you know, of course, we give that example. Yeah, it it opens up an, an, an incredible door. Now, the decision today isn't the end of the discussion about this, correct? It looked like to me and tell me if I'm wrong when I read through some of the notes and a couple of the comments by some of the justices. Basically, the Supreme Court is reticent to interdict what has happened in Texas and tell Texas what it can and can't do until it has a case that comes before it that has been appealed through the whole system. That hasn't happened yet, and so they're going to wait and not get involved in the Texas law until probably this will come back before them. Do I, do I understand that correctly? That is mostly true. So they okay. left open one tiny path of challenge in the federal courts against a couple of licensing officials 
who deal with licensing abortion clinics. That path is a very minor path at best. It is an easily closed path, so I don't see it having any meaningful impact on anything. Uh, And then other than that, you're exactly right. They have basically said the way to challenge this law is to raise your constitutional arguments as a defense to any lawsuit brought against you as an abortion clinic or as an aider and a better or whatever it is. So wasn't the problem, though, that the legislation in Texas was written such that that you couldn't challenge it like it, it was really convoluted how it was put together. I mean, it was yeah. totally it was it was an abdication of responsibility by the Texas state legislature in order to get something that they wanted that they, I guess, assumed a lot of their constituents wanted, but it was a terrible way of going about it. But wasn't it written so that you actually couldn't challenge it somehow? Like you couldn't sue the state. So, you had to Correct. So it was written in a way that made it as difficult as possible to challenge both the underlying substance of the law, the abortion ban, and the procedures of that law, which fully apart, you take the word abortion out and substitute in, you know, right X. Right. And everything else about the law is is still a massive due process violation. Yeah. Uh, it, It tilts the playing field so badly between litigants that no one would possibly imagine that a lawsuit under those rules are fair. And now, of course, one can challenge the the procedural rules also when you get to Texas state court. But, you know, you have to be a little worried that is a Texas state court going to basically say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to follow the procedures that my state legislature has told me to follow because I think the whole shebang is uh, is unconstitutional. That's a that's a a brave and bold judge, though. Though, admittedly, at least one judge has done very much that uh, in a a local Texas case uh, called Banstein. So I I want people to understand how big this is. Um, You mentioned insert rights. This is very – first of all, we already have the state of Illinois crafting legislation that is patterned after this that will go after gun manufacturers. Let's say California decides that everybody has to be woke, and they put in there the exact – they just craft the same same legislation, but they replace it with uh, expressions of the First Amendment so that now – Uh, An individual who says something that offends another individual can now be sued by that individual simply for being offended, not because they were libeled or because they were um, slandered, but rather because they were offended. And that person would then have to defend that case and pay to defend that case so that now your free speech essentially becomes paid speech. You have to pay for your speech because you're going to have to fight your right in the courts every time somebody hears you say something or sees you write something or you put up a post that's offensive to any number of people. I, I, this is this is an enormously bad precedent. It is an enormous – it's, it's hard for me to believe that any thinking, logical human being could concoct this legislation and not know what the, fo- what the fallout and ramifications could be. Well, I mean, I, I suspect – the, the fallout and the ramifications were exactly what they intended to happen in Texas, right? They intended to scare everyone off so that they wouldn't do what they didn't want them to do. And as to whether or not Texas cares, whether someplace like California stomps on First Amendment rights, uh, I think the answer to that is pretty clear. Texas couldn't care less if California stomps on other rights that they happen to like. Uh, in some ways, they'd be happy to have California react just as badly as they did so that Texas gets to point the finger and say, see, they're doing it too. 
So, doesn't, so, you know, from the perspective of the Texas legislature, it makes lots of sense that they decided to toss the Constitution overboard because those other states don't matter. Do you feel like, I mean, was the, what, what, what's your reaction to the Supreme Court's decision? I mean, do you, do you think they should have gone farther and just overturned the law without having someone come? Because basically what has to happen here is somebody in Texas has to actually lose a case, pay out the $10,000, then uh, or try to appeal that case at whatever cost that is, you know, hiring lawyers to defend them and then go to the appellate court and then go up to the circuit court and then go back to the Supreme Court and pay their lawyer the whole way. That that's the only way that this can come back to the Supreme Court, as I understand it. Is that correct? Pretty much. um, Yeah, with some tiny exceptions, but pretty much. Um, So uh, my answer to your, your initial question is no, I don't think the Supreme Court in this case should have struck down the law because that's not what they were asked to do. The only thing they were asked is whether or not this lawsuit can go forward in federal court, meaning the the trial court, the district court. Uh, And that was the only question they were really asking in the whole women's health case and answering. They weren't asked to rule on the substance or the constitutionality of SB 8, only about the procedures for how one goes about challenging it in the first place. Okay, and in ruling the way they did... They basically said... They left a little door open that it can be challenged, correct? On some small grounds against a couple of people who play a tiny, tiny role in the whole scheme, but not against most people who play a bigger role. Uh, They basically said those challenges have to happen in state court or maybe somewhere out there there's some other path to getting a federal court challenge. We don't know. We're not going to tell you what those paths might or might not be, but who knows? We're not saying it's impossible. We're just saying we haven't seen it yet. Are you surprised that, because I don't hear a lot of negative, I don't, I don't really hear anybody, you, you, the point that you've taken, we're talking with litigator Eric Jaffe, what you've done on behalf of this gun group is, it's the right thing to do. And I don't hear a lot of other conservatives. I'm not calling you conservative. I don't know what your politics are, and it's none of anyone's business. I'm but, a libertarian. Okay, so <laughs> so you're, you're, you and me are, I guess, two peas in a pod in that sense. I mean, I'm not a libertarian as in a party member. I'm an independent libertarian leaning. Yes. But are you surprised that those on the right haven't come more to, you know, I mean, the only way really, I guess, to get Texas to overturn this on the on their own is for people to be like, hey, you guys did this wrong. You screwed it up. Redo it. But nobody seems on the right. Nobody seems that concerned about this. That that that's the pattern that disturbs me the most. It's as if people can't quite see how bad this could be for everybody involved. Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised, but I am disappointed. Uh, yeah. I guess would be my response. Is that look? Once upon a time, groups on the left and the right, groups that cared about things like constitutional law, would would defend the things that they hated because there was a bigger principle at stake. Think the right. ACLU and the March on Skokie and, and the Klan marches and all those things, where nobody imagined the ACLU liked the Nazis or liked right. the Klan, but they liked free speech. Right. Here, uh, I'm just a little disappointed that more conservative groups haven't stepped up to the plate and sort of said, you know, we, we may or may not like abortion or we hate abortion, whatever they want to say, but this is the wrong way to go about it. Well, I'm not a to get disappointed. Yeah, I mean, not to get too political, but honestly, I think this is an example of the the disease of populism that's infected the conservative right. Um, it, it, you know, that the populism being on the right, populism among the right, 
is we are against abortion, right? And, and I would consider myself to be pro-life. But there are principles at play that one, if one values freedom above all else, which I do, and I thought that people on the right were supposedly supposed to do, then you put those principles first and then you work within those principles to achieve whatever that goal is. This literally throws those principles out the window. And that to me is populism, right? Or right-winged populism. It's the idea on the right that the only thing that matters to us are these X, Y, Z social issues that must be dealt with at all cost. Um, and, and, and then you just throw your principles out the window that you supposedly believe in. And I guess we'll all get together and complain when they come after guns and free speech, not realizing that the path was set with this other thing that a, pe- a lot of people on the right supported, you know? Look, I, I agree with you that this is sort of the, the at least momentary triumph of populism over constitutional principle and just principle in general. Um, and, you know, I hear a lot of this. I hear a lot of these discussions, and I think the general attitude is, look, we're fighting with one hand tied behind our back when our opponents don't believe any of this. And so it's left-wing populism is happy right. to toss things overboard. And so there's a certain frustration with being principled means you don't get to use the same tools and weapons that your opponent gets to use. But yeah. but I guess the thing that I always liked about libertarians and conservatives was that, you know, the answer is I don't want to be like my opponent. And if I'm <laughs> like my opponent, then I've lost. Right. If, if my opponent makes me like them, then I've lost. So I don't yeah. really I'm not compelled by the argument that they did it first. Yeah. Right. That so, never seems like a good answer. Do you have any hope that this will eventually make its way back and then get overturned or maybe even get get hit by some of the lower courts, hopefully? I, I do have some hope of that. So, uh, like I said, there was a recent Texas state court decision uh, where the judge sort of He's not dealing with the abortion aspects of the law, but he is dealing with some of the procedural aspects of the law. Uh, it's called Van Steen versus Texas Right to Life, and it came out, I think, a day or two ago. Uh, I think yesterday, actually. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so he points out that some of these procedures violate due process, and I think those kinds of challenges have some prospects in the Texas courts. Uh, yeah. We'll see what happens on appeal, of course, whether this survives, and then we'll see how long it takes. The real trouble is that between those cases winding their way up to the Supreme Court uh, and getting decided, there's going to be a lot of this law being applied in, in the meantime. It just yeah. takes a long time. And so if you're chilling people, if you're scaring people off, if you're threatening people, well, nobody's going to step out their front door uh, and violate the law uh, if there's still a lingering massive threat to them. Yeah. And so it could be years, is, is, I guess. Yeah, so no doubt. All right. Well, listen, I appreciate you being willing on short notice. I know I only called you a little while ago, and you're willing to come on and talk about this. Um, but Happy I appreciate you being – yeah. Well, and and glad that you're fighting on this, and hopefully we'll chat again sometime, and maybe the next time it will be because there was a victory in place um, so we can keep moving the ball forward. But I appreciate it uh, that you coming no on today. Well, maybe the next time we'll be challenging the Illinois law and guns yeah. whatever gets passed. Well, that, that's going to have to happen, I'm sure. So, all right, thank you so much, Eric Jaffe, appellate. Uh, by the way, before I let you go, real quick, I only have like 30 seconds here, but that's – oh, well, never mind, I have to go. I'm being told i got to run. So, all right, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I was going to ask him, Angie, about being a clerk for Clarence Thomas. I should have done that. How cool would that be to be a clerk for Clarence Thomas? Fascinating. All right. I hope you got a lot out of today's podcast. Um, I hope you know where you can help uh, Kentucky. I hope you know where to start with dealing with 
the Texas abortion law, and I hope you'll continue to support and listen to this podcast. Uh, we're nearing 100,000 downloads, thanks to you. Uh, we get thousands of downloads every week uh, as a result of you and your listenership. Please continue to share the podcast. It's free to subscribe at Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Play, or iHeartRadio. And uh, you can carry us around in your pocket. Thanks to Dynamics Productions for their help with this program. Uh, they've been with us from the very beginning. And a quick thank you to our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. So awesome. And I have been a customer of theirs. I can attest to the fact that you're going to get unbelievable customer service, unparalleled craftsmanship, and a fair price for a great job. But you don't have to take my word for it. How about Amy on Google Reviews who says, uh, designer Angela's vision for our new kitchen was spot on. The team at LCC showed up when they said they would, and they were awesome. I highly recommend them. Or Steph, who said, excellent product and fantastic service after the sale. Sass, I love sass. Uh, we definitely do business with this company again. I concur with both of those Google reviews, and I just tell you that their designers are waiting to help make your dream kitchen come true. If you're a contractor or a do-it-yourselfer and you're worried about supply chain problems, you don't have to. Because Louisville Cabinets and Countertops already has great, high-quality, affordably-priced cabinets in stock ready for you to go. You know your measurements. You're ready to go. You go in, get them, done. Done, done, done. Okay, so check them out. 6200 Hit Lane in Louisville or give them a call at 502-930-3304. That's 502-930-3304. And as always, check out their website to see examples of their work and the cabinets and countertops that they have in stock. That website is LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. Thank you for listening. I am Leland Conway, The Disruption Zone. Follow me on Twitter at Leland Show and on Instagram at Greatly Longo. <laughs> <laughs>